0: Welcome to Studio B
1: Live.
0: Well, you did it. You somehow traveled all the various parts. Of the Internet. And you took the correct path, the correct URL, the finest MP3 download, and you found Studio Bee Live. Hello, I'm David Burns.
1: And I'm Sherry Burns, and we operate Long Lane Honeybee Farms and produce this weekly podcast to support beekeepers and encourage others to become beekeepers.
0: <laughs> That's right. And... Studio B Live is more fun than sitting on the front porch with Grandma on a hot summer evening with a glass of sweet tea in your hands. So thanks for tuning in to Studio B Live. This is our podcast. We'd like to say hello to all of our brand new listeners coming to us today through iTunes. We're on iTunes now, Sherry.
1: Yeah, and our listeners are in for a real treat because to start off our show today...
0: Yeah, that's right. I can only guess... Since you're standing so close to one of our roosters,
1: this is one of the roosters that our three-year-old named Diesel, and he's primed up and has been practicing and should crow any second.
0: So, starting off our show any minute at their crow is the crowing of. Whoops, there he goes, crowing of Diesel, <laughs> <laughs> the ruling, the ruling rooster of Long Lane Honeybee Farm. Yeah, and he's a beaut, too. You know, I, I'm surprised that. That I didn't realize uh, roosters crowed throughout the day, Sherry. I thought they were just like at 4 30 in the morning, and then they went back to bed or something.
1: Mm, now, I think that's one of those myths. Roosters crow all day long and crow for various reasons. I think ours is hungry, and that's why he crows. Yeah, yeah.
0: He, our daughter, oldest daughter, well, not our oldest daughter, but oldest daughter at home takes care of the... A batch of chickens, and I think he goes under her window and crows. Yeah, he knows
1: exactly where she sleeps. And he He sits underneath there, and he crows at her. But he's a
0: beaut. He's stately. He stands proud and got some beautiful feathers. Well, Sherry, you deserve a purple heart for watching uh, two of our five grandchildren last few days. and. that was really hard. Little Claire was, is about 16 or 17 months old. She got sick, and so you had to take care of her, hold her, go without sleep for two days. But she finally got better, and, and uh, we were just praying, praying that our three-year-old Christian and Claire's sister, Laura, didn't get uh, sick, too. And they didn't, so we made it through.
1: Yeah, our daughter Jennifer and her husband asked us to watch them while they went on a cruise.
0: Mm-hmm, something we want to do, right?
1: Yeah, that'd be nice in the middle of winter.
0: We'd have to take Christian with us, a little three-year-old Christian, wouldn't we?
1: Well, and he would be fun. I think he'd enjoy a cruise if we could keep him from jumping off the side of the <laughs> boat. Yeah.
0: Well, that's true. He'd be all over that, wouldn't he? Oh, my. Um, so, last few days have been fun. I went down to the Illinois State Beekeepers Association. I spoke on pheromones in the hive down there, and it was fun being with a bunch of beekeepers uh down at the uh, state convention, and uh gonna go up to Chicago and uh, I think in two more weekends to speak at a garfield Conservatory B forum and Dennis van Ingelsdorf, uh he's a leading c c d researcher. He's going to be speaking there as well, and I think they always ask me to come to these where they have these real you know n- well known speakers. I'm like those little bands and those that you're trying to get your feet wet, and you have these little bands that are trying to sing a tune, and then the, the real band comes out, you know. <laughs>
1: well, they probably have to pay him so much, that way they can get by not paying you. <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go. Maybe so. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So, anything else been going on around here that uh, you've had fun doing lately, Sherry? The weather's, um, the weather's nice the today.
1: The weather's gorgeous today, and we finished picking up a lot of stuff out of the yard, mm-hmm. and... But other than that, I, th- I think we've just been hanging out here taking orders for those holiday specials already.
0: Mm-hmm. Don't let those go by. You need to get that ordered and on the road to you before the 2011 B season starts. It's it's going to start pretty soon, and people are already itching to order those packages next week. We'll talk about that, but that's good, too. And by the way, Sherry, this is Episode 40 40
1: 40 40 40 40. yeah
0: and uh, we actually produced our first beekeeping podcast on November the 10th 2008 two years ago can you believe that we've been doing these podcasts now for two years on beekeeping
1: what's today's date
0: oh let me go look is it the 8th I think it is isn't it Uh, let's see Yeah, it is the 8th, so on Wednesday it would have been exactly two years.
1: Okay, well, but maybe that's when this, um, you know, you can get this online November the 10th, so that would be exactly 40 episodes ago, two two years ago.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, David, you know we're so close to the start of the beekeeping season. Mm,
0: I know it. It's coming up uh, just a week from today on November the 15th. It's going to be
1: Package bees. Bees.
0: So as of November the 15th, go online, order your package of bees from our website. And you can call us too. We prefer you to go online to order just because it will help minimize the busy signal of people trying to call in and uh, make it easier for us and for you to place your package bee order. So, if, but if calling in works better for you, call us two one seven four two seven two six seven eight. Order your packages of bees. I heard at the conference that it sounds like it's, packages are going to be in a huge demand this year. Uh, it's staggering.
1: Yeah, I've heard that from a couple of different companies who said they're they're severely limiting their number, or maybe they couldn't get the numbers. I don't I don't know. And then something else about. Are they going to close the the borders to Australian bees? You know, I don't
0: know if that's a rumor, and I hate to I hate to spread that, but I did someone of a reliable source did say at the conference uh, to the whole group that if Australian packages can't come in, it could really put a dam it could really uh, put a lot of commercial beekeepers in demand for our packages, and uh, could jeopardize everyone getting a package I don't know I, I, who knows but it does sound like and I think a lot of people went into or going into winter with some not so strong colonies of honey and so if they die out you know you always have to have more to replace them but so I don't want to you know I don't want to be a negative and uh, uh, too skeptical about it but I, I really you know I think I, we're for sure going to have uh, a significant number of packages but they could just sell out fast so just be on the top of that
1: All right. Now, why why don't you just explain the three different kinds of packages or bees that Mm -hmm. we sell.
0: A lot of people ask about it, and here's the best way to describe it. A friend of mine has a little over 500 hives in Wisconsin. He takes them down to Florida, places them on the orange groves uh, about this time, uh, usually in November. And they build up really, really, really big and then in April, we fly down, put a team of about eight or nine people together. We spend a couple of weeks shaking bees. We actually don't shake the whole two weeks, but we're moving hives into a shaking yard and getting equipment ready. But we spend two days actually shaking the last two days. And then we put them in a truck. While they're fresh, we drive up here. And by the way, those queens are David Mix's queens. Very, He's a, a very uh, profound uh, queen-rear producer. And um, these are good winter stock, hardy queens, uh, available about the first or second week in April when we try to get back up with the truck full of bees. About Hopefully this year in between four and 600 packages is what we're shooting for. And these are for local pickup only. I'm going to tell you about two other uh, types of bees that we sell. The first type are the ones that are in packages sold out of our apiary here in central Illinois first or second week in April, And people come from all around to pick up these packages, so you're not too far away. You can drive a significant time back home with them, so come on over, have fun. People are standing around throwing Frisbees. <laughs> lots, of, lots of people here on Package Bee Pickup Day, and it's kind of a hoot, so come on and be a part of that here at our apiary. Now, those of you that live way too far away to consider driving over, we can ship you your bees. They ship fine. We were very pleased last year how well the bees did in our shipment of both USPS, Postal Service, and UPS. So don't worry about that. They ship fine, and they've been shipping bees this way for over a 100 years. And um, some people don't like the the idea of bees being shipped because they say it stresses the bees. But, Sherry, I really don't think it does because I know bees well enough to know they're being bees, and they have food, and they are together. I think the only thing that could stress shipment would be if they got extremely hot, then you might lose some, and that that may happen. But last year, the post office took very good care of the bees, and uh, bees have to really, really get hot. A lot of people don't want bees to get too hot because it can kill the brood. brood has to stay 92 degrees.
1: There's no... Brood in a package. Exactly. See, that's
0: exactly it. So a bee just getting a hundred degrees, isn't, or 105 even, I don't think it's going to hurt the bee that that much at all.
1: Well, think where bees come from. I mean, bees come from the sure. south. They come from yeah. Africa. They sit in the heat. And even if they even if they
0: get cold, people say, "Oh, what about if they get you know, what if the temperature drops down to 25 degrees?" Hey, again, they're in a box. There's 10,000 bees together. It's going to have to get real cold for a package to be uh, stressed. That cold. So don't worry about that. They ship fine. Now, that's two That's two groups, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One we bring back to our apiary, and you can pick them up. And I think those are $85. The ones we ship to you, uh, those are the ones, have I talked about those? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, those we ship to you, those uh, aren't, they're not shipped out of our yard, but we do ship them. And so um, these are shipped to your door for $106.
1: Any, anywhere in the U.S. anybody in the U.S. Yeah. So. Which
0: is a little cheaper. I saw some on eBay already, and they're they're more expensive than 106 to have them shipped to you total. So we're a little bit, you know, pretty average price what people are finding, a little bit below. But and then there's the third alternative that you if you want to consider this, we do sell nukes. We never know what kind of nuke number we're going to have. Got to come out of winter, see what we have, see how many splits I can do. First come, first serve basis. But you can call us in May and say, hey, do you have some nukes I can buy? So we do sell four-frame nukes as well, so keep that in mind, and uh, we'd like to help you with those. So that's our three levels of, um, of packages that we sell. Last year we did make up a lot of nukes, and that worked really good, and so keep that in mind. November the 15th, get your orders in as soon as possible. And by the way, our packages are three-pound packages, which is about 10,000 bees, and a mated queen. We are happy to be on iTunes, iTunes, and the only reason we're really happy about that is that we feel that that will make it a lot easier for people to... Find our podcast on Beekeeping, and to be able to click easily, download it to your iPad, iPhone, i what else, i iPod, <laughs> you know. And so, those of you that have your uh, MP3 players, it doesn't have to necessarily be all Apple products. You can have your own MP3 player and download them off our website. But this is a neat way that. We just want to get the word out more and be out in front of people a little bit more about beekeeping. So we're promoting beekeeping through these podcasts that we do and we're good to be on glad to be on iTunes. And uh, we have this neat little segments of beekeeping interests that we have throughout our podcast. We have um, one called Equipment, one called Pests and Disease, Beginners Briefing Seasonal suggestions, magnificent mistakes, and what's around the corner. So ooh, let's get right into it today. And this is the equipment segment of our podcast today. Today I want to talk about smokers, gloves, and hive tools. So let's talk about smoker gloves and hive tools. As part of our equipment section today, let's start with gloves. Now, people ask me, hey, what kind of gloves should I be using? What kind of gloves should I wear to keep bees? And here's what I say, don't wear any gloves. And then they say, oh my goodness, I don't want to be stung on my fingers. That sounds so painful. Well, so then I used to say, okay, tell you what, wear gloves at first until you build up your confidence and then eventually... Learn to work gloves barehanded. Now, I would not suggest this if you think your hives are Africanized. Don't go barehanded in that kind of a setting. But if you've got gentle bees that are nice and you can work them on good days when they're very uh, cooperative with you, use a little smoke, wear a hat and a veil, and try to not wear any gloves. And to be honest with you, I don't wear gloves. I, I never wear gloves when working bees. Now, sometimes in big colonies, I do have to brush bees with my fingers. I have to brush them out of the way so that I can grab a frame, you know. Um, But you can do that. I really think the bees respect that. I really think the bees sense that this individual is kind of hands on. You know, there's the gloves are uh, the gloves can actually cause you to kill bees because you've lost, especially big gloves. uh, The the sting-proof ones look like hazmat gloves, you know. You can't bend your fingers in. You can kill bees, and I don't think bees appreciate you killing their sisters while you're working them. So I try to work barehanded so that I can respect the hive, be very gentle. And I think it comes back to the bees bring it back to me in a complimentary way by letting me work them barehanded. I am stung occasionally on the fingers. But I would say 99% of the time it's because when I go to pick the frame up and put my finger underneath the little ear of the frame, oops, I didn't see one under there, and in defense she will sting me because I'm starting to accidentally squash her. So, you know, it does happen, but typically bees are very gentle to work, and if you work them correctly at the right time of the day, being very, uh, working slow motion, you smoke, wear a hat and a veil, and treat bees with a lot of respect, I believe that you'll find you can work without gloves. But, let's say that you're saying, nope, gotta wear gloves. Alright. Basically, there's lots of gloves out there that you can wear. You can wear garden gloves, leather gloves, work gloves, bee gloves, you know. <laughs> now, in the beekeeping industry, we have I would say two prominent types of gloves. We have the, we have the canvas gloves that are, Oh, just simply real tightly woven material canvas. I think they do have a little coating on the top, but they are not sting proof. They're sting resistance. They do have a sleeve that comes up to, to uh, overlap your sleeve, uh, probably at least 15, 18 inches. It seems. And, uh, so you can wear those, and they they do bend easily. But you still might get a little prick through that those gloves, though you may not. And and I think bees typically don't land on gloves. They, you know, unless you just got kind of a mean hive or something, um, your gloves are gonna uh, give you enough protection to probably build your confidence more than anything. So there's the canvas gloves. Then you have your leather gloves. Now, leather gloves are almost, I would say, pretty much sting-proof, and that's only because the leather is so tough to get a stinger through. It rarely happens that a sting, uh, a stinger, could go through, penetrate how uh, how tight the leather is. And uh, these come in different styles, but now certainly you could go to your local hardware store, home. Uh, improvement store and you could buy leather gloves. But the problem with that is the sleeves, the the end of the glove is very short on the hand and there's going to be a gap between your suit or your shirt and your gloves. Here's what happens when I wear those short gloves. Bees will climb on my hand just out of curiosity, crawl into that little open sleeve on my glove hang out, have fun, and then when I bend it, I'm putting pressure on the bee, and guess what the bee does? It stings me because I'm squeezing it. And that's why I don't wear gloves. I just get stung more with gloves than without. So if you're going to wear the little inexpensive gloves that you can buy yourself that aren't related to beekeeping, but they're just leather gloves, well, you're going to have to get some duct tape, You're going to have to find some way to kind of connect that glove to the base of your sleeve if you want to do it that way. Now, they do make and we do sell leather gloves with ventilated sleeves, which means now there's a leather glove, a little harder to bend, I think, than a canvas glove. Provides a little more, if not a lot more, sting-proof quality to them. And they have the sleeve that comes up and overlaps your suit or your shirt. So these are options. They're ventilated, I guess, to give your arms a little more uh ability to stay cooler. So those are basically two types of gloves that are real prominent in the beekeeping industry. So I would say this, friend, if you feel that you're not comfortable not wearing gloves yet, wear the gloves but uh maybe one day slip one of them off and see what it's like to work with only one glove on and Build your confidence until you become a bare-handed beekeeper, all right? Hey, how about smokers? Let's talk about smokers and equipment. Um, You know, there are cheap smokers and then there are cheap smokers. (laughs) I mean, have you really ever seen a a, a smoker that isn't cheap? And what I mean by that, they're not really made to be an army tank. You know, they're not made to be a fine piece of furniture. They're made to be, they are a... A, a working smoker, which means over a few years, they they fail. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's just going to happen because there's moving parts, there's soot, there's fire in the box, and these things degrade over a period of years. It always I'm amazed when I go on to eBay and I see people saying, vintage smoker, and I can look at the smoker and I can tell the thing's only five years old. They do look like a vintage smoker after you know, five years, my goodness. But um, I don't mean that they're cheap. You know, we sell smokers, and we're, we, we sell smokers that we feel are very good. But just keep in mind that even though they're stainless steel, uh, once you heat, put a fire in them, that heat changes the, uh, the metal, and they can and do rust. Um they can bend, I mean, because they're lightweight. So you have to take care of them. You have to keep them cleaned out. Uh, don't ding them up and drop them and run over them or you'll uh, be suffering. But the billows as well. The billows is what creates the air that blows into the <coughs> canister to make smoke. Billows wear out after, you know, a few years. But um, all smokers are about the same, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if you feel like you're going to pay more to get a better smoker, mm, I wouldn't count on it. So, um, whether it's, uh, so basically you have your smoker that we have Moses Quimby to thank for that. He invented that in the 1800s. Um, some smokers do not have a cage around it, which is a protective cage to keep you from burning yourself. I could have used that one year because I burnt my fingertips. Um, but, um, the cage is, uh, you know, it's probably a half inch to three quarter inch uh, standing around the the hot can so that it it doesn't you don't touch it with your hands. Um, so you have that difference: the ones with no protection cage around it, and ones with heat cages around them. And then another uh, difference I've seen is some are domed shaped at the top, and others are uh, funnel tape shaped at the top. And quite honestly, don't see any difference. Um, so you just pick if you want a smoker to look like the traditional one or R2-D2 off of Star Trek <laughs> or Star Wars. You you decide what you want to, to buy on those smokers. Smoker fuel can be anything that produces a cool, dense white smoke or light blue, I guess. It's a light smoke, uh, but it's it's dense, and, you know, you don't want something that is going to make the bees gag, like you don't want to put plastic, anything smelly in there. But typically we think of grass cuttings, dry grass, pine needles. You could put um, straw. You could put, some people use twine that has not been sprayed with any kind of insecticide. Burlap. You can use old cotton rags that they're clean and don't have polyester in them. Just, you know, the gamut of of what you have available. I've used sawdust. I've used tree bark. I've used, um, um, hmm, I was going to tell you something else I use. Sawdust, tree bark. uh, Oh, I use cardboard. Believe it or not, you take some cardboard, roll it up tightly after you get a fire going, Now, it won't burn as long, but you'll be surprised how long cardboard will last, and who doesn't have (laughs) access to cardboard? And then uh, the next thing I want to talk about is hive tools. There are several different kinds of hive tools. The hive tools that we traditionally have, we've had forever, are just uh, flat on one end, come to a point, and then they're kind of hooked on the other end. That's kind of like a scraper that you can use on the other end, and it does come in handy when you're scraping propolis off your frames. Um, And then they have a little hole where if you see a nail that's coming out, you can pull a nail and pound it back in, a little pry hole in the hive tool as well. Hive tools, uh, some of them are painted all the way, some are painted halfway, some... Uh, just different colors, yellow, I've seen yellow, red ones um, a lot of different types of uh, colors that you could get but I want to talk about hive tools because there are other kinds of hive tools, there's, there's the painted traditional hive tool and then there's the J-hook hive tool and I don't know how to describe this other than it has a little J-hook on one end a different kind of scraper on the other little more here, not too much, a few dollars more. And sometimes uh, these are um, chrome-plated and uh, are nice. But um, they're a little different hive tool. And I've found in in my running around with beekeepers, I don't really ever see a beekeeper with one of these J-hook hive tools. But maybe some people like them, but most people use traditional ones. There's one called the Italian hive tool. And um, this hive tool is, of course, most of them are made with tempered steel, as this one is. It's a little bit longer, and it gives you more, probably more leverage. It has a little bit of a hook on one end different than, than the traditional hive tool. Um, and then the one that I really like is the traditional hive tool, but it's in stainless steel, polished stainless steel. I love that one. Um, the, the traditional hive tools are just steel, and uh, they'll last a long time if you keep them out of the weather. If you kind of wipe them off, uh, maybe put some light oil on it—vegetable oil or something, uh, food-grade oil or grease—that wouldn't hurt the bees. But you could kind of keep them from rusting away. These stainless steel hive tools, though, they are a beaut. They're beautiful, they're shiny, they never rust. And I love them. I mean, if I drop one in the, in the summer and leave it outside in the winter, which I've done and find it in the next spring, looks the same. It's not rusty. It's ready to go. So these are a little bit more money, but pay for themselves because they just keep lasting. Very good, uh, stainless steel hive tools. Okay, so there you go folks. There are some ideas on some equipment you think about the equipment you're using. New beekeepers uh, uh take interest in what you want to do with your gloves, smoker, smoker fuel and hive tools and you'll be off and running. Sherry and I would like to take this moment to invite you to check out our website at honeybeesonline.com. We have some great classes coming up in January. We even have one coming up December the 3rd on candle making, how to bake and make food with honey, and how to sample honey. Uh, we have a lot of honey going to be available for you to sample here at our apiary December the 3rd. Friday night, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night, come be a part of the camaraderie, rub elbows with beekeepers, taste some honey, eat some food. A couple hours on Friday night, what a great way to spend some time with us. Check us out online at honeybeesonline.com. Click on the link for upcoming classes or you'll see them on our main page. And now it's time for Pest and Diseases. Pest and Diseases, that's right. Well, what should we talk about with Pest and Diseases? Uh, probably the one that is uh, of utmost concern to most beekeepers is the Varroa mite. Varroa destructor, the mite is called. When the varroa mite first came out in the late 1980s, early 1990s, and began to devastate colonies throughout the United States, most people thought it was the varroa jacobsoni. And later, after more careful identification, we realized that this was not what it was. It was the varroa destructor mite. And uh, it has made its way up, as all uh pests seem to do you know it makes its way through uh other um, uh other races of bees and has uh other species and has made its way into the the um european bees and we're concerned about that the the um varroa mite actually was a pest that originated with the apis serrana and then it jumped over to uh, uh, our bees, the European Apis mellifera bee, and uh, they could not handle this mite and crashed, meaning that most of our feral bee populations, wild bees in the country, were wiped out in the late 1980s, early 1990s because of this mite. So over the... F- past few decades beekeepers have made a headway and so have entomologists and uh, uh, pest control companies uh, have begun to make products that can be placed in the hive to kill the mite and all of these are being used, they're being tested They're being some of them are being tested as they're being used I think so um, there are many products today that are available to help control mites in the hive. And I want to talk to you about several of the ways that I suggest you really keep a handle on your mites. I do think it's important. Keep your mite levels down. They vector diseases. They transfer diseases deform wing virus and others. So you don't want your bees diseased. If your bees go into winter with a heavy viral mite infestation, it could greatly put them at risk of of uh, dying during the winter. So, you want to cut down on your mites. It doesn't mean you have to clean every little bee's foot, but you do want to get the mite level down tremendously and keep, just keep it down all year. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do A screen bottom board. Don't let anybody tell you these are not effective. They are effective. Got one way I can prove it slide something under your screen bottom board for a couple of days pull it out and tell me if you don't see mites on it. Where do they come from? They fell out of the hive. They can't get back in. They work! (laughs) Now, they're not going to get rid of every mite. Absolutely not. But if that screen bottom board wasn't there, the mite would have fallen to the bottom, waited for another bee to walk over the top of the solid bottom board, and it would have just grabbed a hold of another bee and gone back up to the brood nest to mate and make more mites. Screen bottom boards get them use them they're good for your they're good for ventilation they they increase honey curing uh decrease the time I guess I should say that it takes honey to cure and uh they're going to help your bees stay a lot cooler on those hot august nights when they beard out front you won't see bearding uh at all maybe but certainly not as much if you have screened bottom boards we sell them check those out on our website Also, uh, secondly, number two, or B, use green drone comb. Uh, This is a plastic one-piece frame, drone size. Bees add wax to it, queen measures it, lays a drone in it, or a drone egg in it. And then the mites prefer drones because the drone cell stays, well, it takes 24 days for the drone to emerge, the longest of all the cast of honeybees. Therefore, the mite prefers the longer uh, maturation period of the drone and will reproduce in the drone cell. So if you put these drone combs in, let them seal over with the pupa of the drone inside. Guess what's in there with the drone? Yep, lots of mites, foundress mite, the the mother-laying mite, and then you can pull those out before the drones emerge Freeze them for 24 hours and your mites are killed. There you go. Put them back in the hive. Let the bees clean them up. Keep doing that. That's a second line of defense. And the third line of defense that you can use, part of integrated pest management, without using harsh chemicals, is powdered sugar drop. Take one cup of powdered sugar, confectionery sugar. Don't worry about the little bit of starch. You're not going to be uh, doing this very... Uh, Extensively, so it's not going to hurt the bees. That little bit of starch that's in confectionary sugar at the store. Put a cup in a deep hive body. Just take a screen, lay over the top of a deep hive body, and let it fall down between the frames, and that will help the bees groom off and the uh, the mites, and the mites to lose their um, stick toiveness and fall to the bottom. And out they go. So those are three levels. I'll go over them real quick again. Fight mites with green bottom board, green drone comb, and sugar drop. You want to start this uh, probably in the in the spring, certainly uh, as you going around in summer. Uh, if you do the deep high bodies only, not the honey supers, you can do it while the supers are on because you're using such a small amount of sugar uh, that it's not going to get in your honey. But if you want to be very cautious and wait until... Your honey supers are off, you can do that, and powdered sugar to get rid of the mites. You need to do this at least three weeks, three consecutive weeks. So if you do it on Monday, powder sugar your hive on Monday, do it again the following Monday, do it again the following Monday, three weeks in a row, do it six weeks in a row if you want to. But here's why you need to stagger it week by week. If you do it one time, that's all, you're going to get mites off, a lot of them, But think about all the mites that are below the sealed cap of the brood. They are not exposed to the powdered sugar. So when that that worker or drone emerges, the mites multiply and come out. So if you repeat this every three, four, five weeks, uh, consecutive weeks in a row, then you're going to keep getting the mites as they emerge from the brood. Got it? So don't worry about mites. Don't let it ruin your day. I got mites. You got mites. All God's children have mites, okay? (laughs) My cats have mice. I think your bed has mites. I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, there's bed bugs and there's mites. More mites than we want to know about, so bees have mites. So just kind of stay on top of it and keep them under control. (laughs) back by popular demand not really but it sounds good is beginner's briefing a moment where we sit down and brief a new beginner on how to learn more about beekeeping and in today's beginner briefing corner gonna be talking to you about abbreviations. How about abbreviations? (laughs) There's a lot of abbreviations in beekeeping. Have you noticed that? It is amazing, isn't it? Well, let me tell you about a few. And let me see how well you are at guessing these abbreviations. I've already told you one. And let's see if you remember what it was. But I'm going to give you the abbreviation. And the abbreviation is IPM. IPM like Indian Paul Mary IPM yeah integrated pest management a way that you can try to defeat the various pests and diseases in your hive using more natural uh ways of of uh, Keeping your hive healthy. It doesn't mean that IPM does not include medication. It does. But first you try other methods as well. IPM. Integrated Pest Management. Okay, ready for another one? Ha ah, ah, ha! Here we go. Rub your hands together. Stroke your beard. If you have a beard. Look wise. Here comes another one. How about VSH? What is VSH? H. Sounds like bingo, doesn't it? V-S-H. V-S-H. Some people mistakenly call this VHS, but that is a videotape. <laughs> so, it's V-S-H, and it stands for Verora Sensitive Hygienic Behavior, and we are putting that into bees now, raising that recessive gene up so that bees are able to detect that there are mites below the sealed pupa and open it up and take that pupa out because it has mites on it. And of course, it's taking out a bunch of the mites with it. So this is a trait that we work into our queen rearing operation here as well. Most others do too. VSH, fervora Sensitive Hygiene. All right, let's have another one huh let's see oh here's a fun one t b h t b h Boy henry what does that mean t b h hmm I'll give you a minute hm hmm what does t b h stand for the abbreviation got it? Some of you got it because you have one. Some of you got it because you're thinking about getting one. It stands for Top Bar Hive. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you knew that, didn't you? Top Bar Hive. A Kenya hive. You see them in third world countries, hanging from trees. And those that are TBH, Top Bar Hive enthusiasts, know that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, you should think that. (laughs) So, uh, before you uh, go out and burn all your Langstroth equipment and change over to top bar hives, you may want to talk around and see what you come up with first. You know, I don't mind top bar hives. Come on, they're okay. But I don't think that we're going to see the kind of level of support and... Hmm, how should I say this gracefully? Uh, I, mm. <laughs> Well, let me, oh, here's a good way I can say it. How about this? This is good. This is fair. Before you keep a top bar hive, keep a Langstroth hive. The traditional way, get familiar with bees and how they work, get comfortable working your Langstroth hive, and then if you want a top bar hive, oh, you know, go ahead and either make you one or, you know, we're actually starting to make them, too. You can buy one from us, and and then you can uh, set them up. They're a little tougher, although these top bar hive enthusiasts will give me a whooping for saying this. They say they're easier. Every time I've talked to a top bar hive uh, enthusiast and present my concerns, they shoot me down. You know, I say, isn't it harder to put a nuke in a top bar hive? No. Isn't it harder to raise queens in a top bar hive? No. Isn't it harder to you know, for the comb not to attach to the wall of a top bar hive? No! So, <laughs> so um, I'm not going to, you know, take sides, but I would encourage you get some good experience under your belt working bees normally in a traditional hive that you would have to admit, top bar hive people, that it is there is more support uh, for the Langstroth hive. Go to my bee club. More people are going to be able to give you advice on a a regular Langstroth hive than a top bar hive. So start with something that is historically um, stable. And then you can spread your wings and try something different. TBH top bar hive. Alright, how about this one? Ready for another abbreviation? This is beginner's briefing, by the way. SHB. Sam Henry. Bravo. What does that stand for? SHB. Mm. I know. Do you know SHB? (laughs) If you're in the south, you have them. If you're in the north, you may have them occasionally. I'll give you a clue. It's a beetle. A beetle. So now that's the B in SHB. What is SH? small hive beetle. There you go, the little black beetle that can devastate a hive, small hive beetle. Small hive beetle is a beetle about the size of a cell, which is about 5 millimeters, and looks like, oh, I don't know what, a ladybug, but it uh, has a, it's, it's all one color, brown or dark, dark brown, and uh, kind of has those feathery uh, antennas on it. kind of looks built like an army tank, you know, lays eggs in the hive. Those eggs turn into larvae. That larva will weave its way through your honey and ruin your honey crop. That larva jumps out of the hive, jumps into the ground, pupates and comes flying out as a beetle and reinfects the hive. So small hive beetles are a menace in Illinois. They're not that bad. We do have them in Illinois, but in fact, we have 36 counties in Illinois with positive uh, identification of small hive beetle. Sometimes they do take a small hive over, but uh, usually not. They're called small hive beetle because there's a large hive beetle. Uh, These, again, have been brought into our country in the 80s. I believe it was 80s, maybe 90s, uh, but they are Starting to affect hives, especially in the south, because they're more tropical. They're from Africa, so they're more tropical. You don't see them as bad in more northern climates, though they are there. SHB, small hive beetle. Now let's do a few more. i got to speed up here. How about this one? A, B, J. What does Apple, Bravo, Juliet mean? A, B, J. It means American Bee Journal. Publication that many of you are already receiving, and if you don't, you should. American Bee Journal, been around forever. How about this one? I'll give you a few more. E H B, E H B. Hmm. You know what E H B stands for. <laughs> EHB it stands for the European honey bee. Ha <laughs> ha Oh, that was a simple one. And this is even going to be more simple. AHB AHB. If EHB stood for European honey bee, which is all what we have, you know, in America, we also have the AHB, which is the Africanized honey bee. There you go. Mm, Let me see if I have another one. Well, let's do this one. This would be fun. AFB. AFB. Know what it is? It's a disease. Right. American fowl brood. Which also, there is another one closely to it. EFB. European fowl brood. Very good. All right. Well, there's some abbreviations. Now you got that under your belt. You can speak wisely. You can walk around and say, "I've got VSHBs on an IBM bottom board that don't have any signs of AFB or EFB, uh, and no signs of SHB, and I don't like TBHs, and I subscribe to the ABJ." <laughs> Okay, there you go. All right, let's move along now to Seasonal Suggestions. Seasonal Suggestions. I don't know where you live, but, uh, you know, it could be warm. It could be freezing cold, but I'm going to have to take the middle of the ground here and give you what it's like in Illinois here in November. We had one night already where it got down to 12 degrees. Now, today it's warmer. Tonight's low, you know, in the upper 40s, so not bad. It, but winter's coming. So the question about seasonal suggestions today is, do we wrap our hive or not? What are you going to do? I'm asked this question a lot. Should we wrap our hive or should we not? Wrapping means getting something of carpet, uh, roofing paper, insulation board, whatever, and wrap it around a hive so the wind won't make the hive so cold. Historically, beekeepers of long ago found some advantage in wrapping their hives. Even today, people in the far northern regions of the United States and into Canada do extensive work in wrapping their hives in preparation of winter. Now, should you? Let me tell you a few things before you do. First of all, let's. I love using common sense logic. What's going to happen When you wrap your hive with some sort of black paper or insulation, the bees are going to be able to stay a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit warmer probably on the inside. Insulation just does that, you know. That little bit of extra warmth on the inside is going to do something. It can be positive, such as keeping the hive a little warmer on extremely cold nights, but it can do something negative it can cause vapor condensation on the inside of your hive because the warmer the bees are in in the cluster and the colder it is outside the hive there's a contrast in temperature moisture develops on the warm side which is above the bees and that's a dripping noise so all this water, this condensation is developed above the bees on their inner cover or top cover is developing and it's pretty extensive amount of moisture and it's dripping down and guess what it's not warm it's cold because it's above the cluster up by that cold board up there and it's oh hit another bee right on the head ooh that's cold <laughs> so dripping cold water on bees ain't good friend you don't need cold water dripping on your bees that's what's going to happen unless you provide some sort of adequate ventilation at the top. And most people, when they wrap their hives, they ought to do this. They're trying to make everything airproof, you know, uh, windproof, leakproof. But if you're going to wrap them, you're going to have to find some way to give your bees a little bit of a way to exhaust their fumes, their 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 breath, so to speak, and um, clean out that moisture from developing at the top of the hive. You can do this several ways. Put a pencil under your telescope top lid that'll do it. You know it won't blow in there because it telescopes over the side of the hive. Um, you can buy one of our inner covers that has four vented slots on the rail, so that will that sits against under the top cover, which allows what we call passive ventilation. That will improve greatly this buildup, prevent this buildup of moisture. But when you begin to wrap your hive tightly, you're going to have to provide an upper ventilation. So don't wrap it too tight where now you don't have that ventilation at the top. So what's my opinion on wrapping or not wrapping? Um... mm, I walk a thin line. I don't know. Um, I would probably say there's an advantage, a uh, ever so slight advantage. But remember, bees laugh at cold. They can survive without a wrap. But if you love your bees and you want them to wear a coat through the winter, wrap them. Just make sure you don't soak them by making them have that upper moisture that drips on them. So um, you can... And um, that's fine. Now, along these lines would be the screen bottom boards. Do we cover the screen bottom board up or leave it open? I leave mine open. You don't have to. If you have your hive up in the air six or eight inches, you may want to cover it or at least put something around it so air doesn't lick up into the hive. But if they're on uh, pallets or something where the wind won't blow up into your bottom board, then you can get by leaving it open. A lot of people do. But if it makes you feel better, slide a little piece of corrugated plastic cardboard or cardboard. Bees won't pick on cardboard in the wintertime. You could just slide a piece of cardboard, lay it in your hive over your exposed screen bottom board, and um, but then again we, we like it open because we like ventilation. Alright, there you go, seasonal suggestion. Now we're moving on to the magnificent mistake section of our podcast today. We were hoping that we would be flooded with calls and uh, emails about magnificent mistakes that you have made, but there wasn't anyone brave enough to to admit that they made a mistake. <laughs> I understand. All right, so I've picked a few of commonly Magnificent mistakes that people make. And since we have talking about package bees, let me say this. A big mistake is people will wait too late to order their packages of bees. And they'll call in May and say, I want to start beekeeping. I'd like to package of bees. And everybody's been sold out for months. A very magnificent mistake. I understand you didn't know. You'll know next year. But that is a common mistake. Another common mistake is this. Oops, I didn't put all the frames back in the hive body. Ooh, bees are unforgiving when you make this magnificent mistake. And when you magnificently, mistakenly leave out a frame or two, the bees will build some magnificent looking comb without a wooden frame. (laughs) <laughs> and they'll attach it to your top cover, inner cover, sidewalls, uh, oh. and it is a mess. And now it's time for what's around the corner, what's coming up. And I want to let you know that around the corner not too long from now, just a few weekends will be a special event coming up at the Garfield Park Conservatory. those of you who live in Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, I don't know, Michigan, Wisconsin. If you're close by, you may want to take this third annual B form in. It's a great time to come together on Saturday, November the twentieth, from ten o'clock in the morning till four in the afternoon. It's in the Jensen Room at the Conservatory. The cost is $25, unless you're a member, and it's $15. But this is a real neat event that's gone on now uh, twice before, and this is our third annual bee forum, and I'll be speaking at this, and uh, you'll enjoy this day talking about beekeeping. This uh, particular Garfield Park Conservatory Bee Forum will highlight noted academic and professional beekeeping experts as panel discussants to present on their latest research. And this year's topic will be native pollinators and species diversity. Keynote speaker is Dennis Van Ingelsdorp, and uh, he's a renowned bee expert who studies colony collapse disorder. And he's been featured in many publications and documentaries and movies about CCD. And I'll be there talking about queen rearing and beekeeping as a business. And there'll be other speakers as well. So come and be a part of the third annual Bee Forum in Chicago on November the 20th. And um, you can Google it online if you want to register ahead of time. And uh, and come on down and join us. There's going to be a lot of activities going on. Don't want to miss it. Let me give you some information. Uh, let's see. If you want to register, you can contact Julio Tuma at 773-638-1766, extension two 24. The number again, 773-638-1766, extension 24, or email Julio at JTUMA at org and get signed up and come on and join us because this is coming up. That's what's around the corner.
1: Okay, you ready to sing it?
0: Okay, this concludes episode number 40, episode 40 from Studio Bee Live, a broadcast of Long Lane Honeybee Farms located in East Central Illinois. David and Sherry Burns, we are the ones behind all of this madness about beekeeping. If you'd like to get into beekeeping, we want you to. We'd appreciate having your business and you as a customer. I'm a master beekeeper. We'd love to help you gain successful knowledge about beekeeping. So give us a call. Find out what you need to do to start keeping bees. We manufacture all the equipment right here at our family-owned business, Long Lane Honeybee Farms. We also produce nooks, raise queens, sell packages. And we'd love to be your supplier. So give us a call. The number is 217-427-2678. Our email address is david at honeybeesonline.com or sherry, S H E R I, at honeybeesonline.com. You can also find us on the web at honeybeesonline.com. Tell your friends about this podcast, would you? You know, it's fun. We all, all of us beekeepers, like to always be talking about beekeeping and learning more. So tell your beekeeping friends about Studio Bee Live. It was funny the other day at church. Uh, a gentleman in our church was uh, teasing me about Studio Bee Live, and he said you should have named it Studio Beehive. <laughs> I thought that's a good title, Studio Beehive, but it's Studio Bee Live. And so tell some other folks about it, and we'd love to have more listeners. And don't forget, we want to add some good. Mistakes, You know, some magnificent mistakes. So we want to hear from you. Look, this Saturday and Sunday, the phone is yours. You call us, you'll get an answering machine, and you leave your question, or you leave your magnificent mistake, this Saturday or this Sunday, anytime. The phone will jump to a answering machine message, and at the end of that message... You simply say, Hi, this is David. I'm from Illinois. I want to tell you about a magnificent mistake I made once. Or I have a question because this will make the podcast more interesting. We need your voice. Hey, and especially if you are all the way around the pond, all all across the pond, and uh, you want to call and leave your uh, question or what beekeeping is like where you are, Give us a call. The number to call 217-427-2678 or email us at David at Honeybees Online. It's been fun, gotta go, gotta go work some bees. So once called next time, behave yourself.